My first encounter with Jesus was in tiny St. Stephen's Episcopal Church in Plainfield, New Jersey, which my family attended faithfully when I was a child. I had no personal relationship with Jesus. To my child's mind, Jesus seemed remote, abstract, as pale as his skin tone in my Sunday school picture books. But I knew he was important because every Sunday in the dimly beautiful stained glass light, the entire congregation declared in words more than 1,500 years old that we believed in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven. Echoing through the centuries, the words of the Nicene Creed are words of power. They proclaim Jesus no mere mortal, but God incarnate, God of God, light of light, very God of very God. These words draw a line of faith in the sand. Either Jesus was of one substance with the Father or he wasn't. Either he came down from heaven or he didn't. Gradually, as I entered my teens, and science and skepticism and rebellion took hold of my consciousness, I came to the conclusion that he wasn't and he didn't. Rather than recite a creed in which I did not believe, I left the church. Only decades later did I discover that in my roiling adolescent brain I had been refighting the theological controversies of the early Christian church. In biblical times, the boundary between human and mortal was porous. In ancient religions, it was not uncommon for a great hero or king to be made divine by divine action, and also for a god to assume human form, usually but not always temporarily. There was the Greek philosopher Apollonius, who was said to have ascended to heaven upon his death. There were semi-mortal offspring of gods and humans, like Hercules, and some said Alexander the Great. The Egyptians had long deemed their pharaohs divine beings. The Roman historian Livy called Romulus, the legendary founder of Rome, a god born of a god. The emperor Julius Caesar claimed divine heritage, which he traced to the goddess Venus. His successor Caesar Augustus was called son of God on Roman coins. After his death, an inscription hailed him as a savior whose birth marked for the world the beginning of good tidings through his coming. Even in monotheistic Judaism, angels, Elohim, and Nephilim blurred the distinction between human and divine. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. These famous lines from Handel's Messiah did not originally refer to Jesus. They are from the Hebrew prophet Isaiah, 
and they refer to the king of Israel. By the time of Jesus' birth, the idea that a human being could be partly or fully divine was by no means a novel concept. For those of you whose acquaintance with the New Testament is cursory, long forgotten, or non-existent, there are four gospel accounts of Jesus' life and ministry. The first three, the gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, were all written within a few decades of Jesus' death. They're called the synoptic gospels because they tell many of the same stories, often in similar language. The fourth gospel, the gospel of John, is the outlier. Composed decades later than the synoptics, it contains stories unknown to them, including many in which Jesus speaks of himself as divine. Scholars of the historical Jesus agree that he didn't spend his ministry proclaiming that he was God. Can you imagine the come on? Hi, I'm God. (laughs) Worship me. Of the four Gospels, only John's Gospel has Jesus claiming divinity. Before Abraham was, I am, John's Jesus declares. I and the Father are one. The one who has seen me has seen the Father. Some interpreters read these statements mystically. That is, they believe Jesus is speaking of a divine essence. All of us have the capacity to experience. But whether we interpret them mystically or literally, the likelihood that Jesus actually said these things is small. Written many decades after Jesus' death, these statements pass none of the tests for authenticity imposed by biblical scholars. In the words of Professor Bart Ehrman of the University of North Carolina, these divine self-claims in John are part of John's distinctive theology. They are not part of the historical record of what Jesus actually said. But if Jesus never himself claimed to to be God, how did Christianity decide that he was? It's clear that some of Jesus' followers believed that he appeared to them after his death, and this led them to the conclusion that he was divine. Of course, quite a few people who have lost a loved one report visitation from the spirit of the departed. That doesn't make the loved one resurrected. But Jesus' followers were, like him, believers in an imminent apocalypse that would, res- that would resurrect the dead. If they saw his apparition, they would likely interpret it as resurrection. After Jesus' death and subsequent appearance to some of his disciples, members of the early Jesus movement struggled to make sense of what they knew and what they heard about their beloved teacher. Two competing views of Jesus' divinity emerged. The earlier view, Professor Ehrman calls exaltation Christology, because it sees Jesus as a human being exalted to divine status during his earthly life or upon resurrection. Gradually, this view surrendered to incarnation Christology, which sees Jesus as a pre-existing divine being who incarnated as human. One of the earliest creeds of the Jesus movement, quoted by the Apostle Paul, holds that Jesus was appointed Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Far from being begotten of his Father before all worlds, as the Nicene Creed would later insist, 
This Jesus is adopted as the Son of God only upon resurrection. The farther removed in time they are from the actual events, the earlier in time the gospel authors assert Jesus' divinity. The earliest gospel, Mark, implies that Jesus became the Son of God at his baptism. The next two, Matthew and Luke, indicate that he was divine at birth. And the last, the Gospel of John, deems him the Son of God before all creation. As a bridge between exaltation and incarnation Christologies, scholars believe that some early Christians viewed Jesus as an angel, the angel of the Lord, who appears in the Hebrew Scriptures, a preexistent divine being, but not yet at the same level as God. By the time the Gospel of John was written, Incarnation Christology had triumphed. In the beginning, John's Gospel begins, just like Genesis, for John is effectively rewriting Genesis. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Once this view prevailed, it swiftly became Christian orthodoxy. Orthodoxy means, literally, right belief. Other beliefs were condemned as heresies that threatened the unity of the young church and the immortal souls of the heretics themselves. By the second century CE, views about Jesus commonly held by Christians a hundred years before had become taboo. Christian heresiologists, or heresy hunters, denounced the Ebionites, who believed that Jesus was simply a very righteous man, the Theodosians, who deemed him a human being adopted as the Son of God, and the Gnostics, who understood Jesus to be temporarily inhabited by divinity. But the heresy hunters equally criticized the Docetists and Marcionites, who held that Christ was completely divine and only appeared to be human and to suffer and die on the cross. Because if Christ only appeared to suffer and die, why should Christian martyrs embrace very real suffering and death at the hands of their persecutors? To resolve the paradox of a Jesus at once fully divine and fully human, Christian theologians developed the doctrine of the Trinity. Under this doctrine, found nowhere in the Bible, God comprises three distinct entities— Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, unified in will and intention. God in three persons, blessed Trinity, as the old hymn goes. Three, however, cautioned third-century church father Tertullian, not in condition, but in degree, not in substance, but in form, not in power, but in aspect, yet of one substance and of one condition and of one power inasmuch as he is one God. Early in the 4th century, a Libyan priest named Arius, teaching in Alexandria, argued that while Jesus was divine, he could, not, he could not have always existed because he was begotten by God. Only God, he argued, is without beginning. Arius' view of Christ as subordinate to God led to his excommunication by the bishop of Alexandria who declared Christ immutable and unchangeable, like the Father. When the spreading controversy threatened to divide Christendom, 
Constantine, the first Christian Roman emperor, intervened. Although he personally deemed the dispute, quote, extremely trivial and quite unworthy of so much controversy, unquote, the emperor was determined that Christianity be united in belief. At the Council of Nicaea in 325, bishops summoned by Constantine rejected the teachings of Arius and agreed that Christ is of one substance with the Father. Arius was banished from Egypt, and his teaching is remembered by Christians today as the Arian heresy. Banishment, of course, does not extinguish an idea. Doubts about Jesus as God persisted through the centuries. Over 200 years ago, they gave birth to Unitarianism, which held that whatever the nature of Jesus, there is only one God, not three. So as Unitarian Universalists, we descend from heretics. But the word heresy means literally to choose. It's a heritage to be proud of. Seekers today have many choices. Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, paganism, agnosticism, atheism, humanism, countless other beliefs. We can believe that Jesus was divine. We can believe that he was a uniquely spirit-filled human being. We can believe he was simply a remarkable teacher. We can believe that each and every one of us shares a divine essence that we spend our lives remembering. Unitarian Universalists can choose from every wisdom tradition the beliefs and practices that best serve us and the world. May we choose well. Amen. Ashe. And blessed be.